reading from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, and then chapter 2, verses 15 to 25. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken from the man, and he brought it to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Morning, everyone. It's good to see you all again. I had a good weekend last weekend. Uh, so greetings from St. Stephen's Church. They managed to um, survive me, and I managed to survive them. Yeah. And we had a great time together in God's Word. Um, and so I heard you had also a good time. Did you? Good. If you are visiting, we are looking at uh, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis for the next couple of weeks. So that's what we are looking at, uh, and we're working our way through there. We're calling it the beginnings because that is really what the book is all about. Genesis means the beginning. It means when everything is started up. So that gives us a good uh, background to understanding ourselves, understanding God, and to how we can live our lives. So I hope that as we work our way through this, that you will um, see both the glory and the wonder of God, but also where the problems lie and uh, what God has done about that. So we'll have better insight in how we can understand ourselves better, how we can understand God better, how we can understand life better. All right. So that's just to tell you where we are. We are on, I think it's the third week. Is that right? The third week as we work our way through this. So let's pray, and then we'll have a look at a specific aspect of us being in God's image. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've penned down your word so that we may truly understand where we come from and who we are and what we are and what we are to be about uh, so that we will uh, understand the rest of your word as well better 
and that we will understand uh, the conflict we find within ourselves, uh, that we will understand the conflict we see around us and experience from one another, uh, that we will understand uh, the, the wonder and the amazement of your work through Christ better and what your plans and purposes are for mankind and for this world and for the entire universe. So we do ask you to help us as we wrestle with this, Lord, as we try and understand it. Uh, glorify yourself uh, in our midst this morning, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I, we're looking at uh, the whole idea of man in God's image, or probably sometimes man as God's image, and we'll pick up on that uh, language a little bit. Uh, it's more functional than actually describing what we are made up of. But I start out with the question, what is man? And uh, I wonder if you've ever tried to answer that question with any um, sense of uh, depth or understanding. What are we? So Sophocles, he was a Greek playwright. He's known for two great quotes about humanity, and you've got them there on your outline. Wonders are many, and none is more wonderful than man. Have you ever felt like that about yourself when you see yourself in this mirror? In the morning, you get up and you see the wonders of uh, you know, yourself. And then he's also known for the other quote, not to have been born is best. Those are the only two quotes from Sophocles that you'll find in the, uh, uh, in the uh, encyclopedia. He's known for those two comments. Quite extreme, isn't it? On the one hand, man is glorious, amazing, out there, wonderful. On the other hand, uh, and you felt like that as well, I'm sure, on a Monday morning, um, that uh, maybe it was best never to have been made. Because life is so broken. So we kind of oscillate. And obviously, if you look at the modern understanding, uh, you're just a naked ape, um, meaning you don't have fur. Um, that's what you are. Uh, somebody else says, we are accidents that lives between two accidents. The accidents of birth and the accident of death. And in between, you're an accident. Uh, you're a oops. Um, lots of ideas of what, is, what are we? What are we supposed to do? Who are we? Where are we going? Um, and so here in Psalm 8, one of those great passages that we've, um, you pick up, he asks that very question, and he wrestles with the reality himself. But he asks it in a different context, and it's basically almost a summary of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him to rule over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You know how weird that is? And you pick up how weird the, the sequence is. He starts out by asking, what is man? And he ends up glorifying God. Is that what you do? When you look at man, do you end up saying, oh, how majestic you are, O oh Lord? Is that your natural reaction? Watch the news? It's weird, isn't it? It's quite an interesting reaction. Are you worshipping God more because you see human beings? You should. We have got this tendency to think if we're going to nature... And we spend some time in nature and some beautiful sunset and a beautiful thing. Then we close to God. The Bible seems to flip it around. It says, when you are with human beings, you are as closer to God than anywhere else in creation. 
But I'm sure you are feeling a bit ambivalent about that, don't you? Because human beings are one of the greatest wonders in the world, and it's probably best never to have been born. Because we find ourselves caught up in this very paradox, this mystery of what it is to be human. And um, don't worry, God shares our perspective. Because we are not living in the light of what he's made us to be. And that's really what we are looking at this morning, very briefly. So we have seen in Genesis 1 that God's being is reflected in God's doing. So God creates the world, he shapes the world, he makes it functional so that it will be good and it will be a blessing and it will be life-giving. The nature of God, the essence of God is seen in what he makes and how he makes it and how he brings it together so that it will be life-giving, it will be abundance, it will be beautiful. He actually says in verse 31 that it is very good. Life is very good. Is that your experience? That is very good. Fantastic. Your experience that you are very good. Because that's how God has made you. It's quite interesting, isn't it? A lot of conflict going through one when you look at it. So God has powerfully made this world so that it will be good. It will be very good. And specifically with mankind, it will be very, very good. And so he makes man specifically so that man will be his representative on this earth. So that man will actually learn what it means to be made in the image of God. Grow up into it so that man can experience what it is to be God-like. What it means to be able to create something and to bring about what is good and life-giving. That's why God has made us. And that's why it's so different from the ancient Near Eastern understanding of mankind. The ancient Near East says man is, a, is made because the gods are too lazy to work and they are hungry. And humans must work to produce food so that the gods can eat. Genesis flips it the whole thing around. God is the one who makes everything for man so that man may share in the glory and the wonder of life. God doesn't need anything. You don't have to feed him. We are actually working the ground so that we ourselves will be fed so that we may experience what it means to be made in God's image. And so there uh, we find that in verse two, uh, chapter 1, verse 26 and verse 27, he talks about this reality that God has made us to be his image, actually, to operate like he operates, to now take the world and to shape it and to bring about that which is good and life-giving. That is why he made us, so that we may actually experience God-likeness. I mean, that's to put it as simple as that. That's what he is after. He is sharing with us himself at a level that is comprehensive, not just knowing him personally, but actually being like him in our own beings at our level, obviously. We are not God in that sense. So he makes everything, sets it all up, and then he gives it to us, and he says, now go and enjoy it. Go and enjoy what it means to be, like, be a small God, in one sense, uh, so that you may work it out. And so when you get to chapter 2, chapter 1 and chapter 2 are quite closely related, and we don't have the time to, to show you all the details. But in the first section of chapter 2, from verse 4, uh, right about to verse 17, it's a bit of an artificial break, you find that man is the producer of blessing on earth. You find that the world is non-functioning 
in the first couple of verses. Uh, there's no food. Uh, things are not working yet. The animals aren't operating quite so lacquer. And so man is made because man is to come and he has to take what God has made and then use that to bring about food and blessing and rule and order and wonder. So man is made actually to be the producer of blessing on earth. Hmm. That's quite amazing, isn't it? Is that how human beings act? That we are the producers of good, of life, of understanding, getting stuck in, and bringing out what is there. And you even find, and there's a little bit of references there, to the whole idea of uh, finding precious things like gold, making jewelry. Jewelry is up in Genesis chapter 2. Did you know that? To make jewelry, to make beautiful things, to harness what the world has to bring out the glory of what God has put in there, in that we are experiencing something of what it means to be made in God's image. So we are there to actually produce blessing. And therefore, when we come to chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Man is also there for the presence of blessing on earth. Now that gets even more weird, isn't it? We're not only the producers, but there should be lots of people who are covering the earth so that as man is present on earth, we can produce and be the presence of blessing on earth. Now that becomes even more a little bit difficult to actually believe that. Is that how you see yourself? That you are a producer of blessing, of life, and you yourself should be the presence of the producing of blessing in life. That's incredible language, isn't it? That's what it means to be made in God's image. God wants us in that sense, and that's what the whole next little section is all about. Adam can't be everywhere in the world, and he can't make the rest of the world like the garden. He can't be the presence of blessing to produce and work it and enjoy it and subdue it. Um, He needs other people. So, again, weird. In the ancient Near East, many people were a problem for the gods. All right? Because the gods in the ancient world wanted people because they must make food for the gods. But they hated the people because all of the people were noisy and that was irritating to the gods. All right? God says, no, this is the other way around. I want you to go and have no limitations in subduing the world, filling the world. There should be lots of us in one sense because I love lots of people. I'm making lots of people so that as people work together as my image, they will experience the wonder of what it means to be made in my image. The plurality that we find within God kind of hinted at in 126. Let us make man. And there's a big debate about what that ass is. And I'm not going to try and get into that. But isn't that incredible? God made human beings so that we will be the presence of blessing. Wherever we go, we should be blessing. Sounds familiar? New Testament? Go and bless. Do not respond by curse and insult. Bless. From how you work the ground to how you touch one of my image bearers. It's your basic reality to bless. To bring about good Isn't that incredible? There's a lot of scope there, isn't it? 
and all sorts of things. And we're going to get to, we probably won't get into all the details, but if you turn a couple of pages to your writing, you're starting to look at how culture developed and how music developed and how all of these things developed. That's all part of what it means to be made in the image of God. We're so to have great music and songs and poems and jewelry and whatever. All sorts of things. So God wants us to be the presence of blessing, but he can't do it on his own, and so God says he needs to make a helper suitable for mankind. Well, that's a kind of a nice little play here. The word suitable only occurs here in the entire Bible. All right? And it is actually two prepositions that are placed right next to one another. So the first part of the preposition is like, as... That's the translation of that preposition normally when it stands on its own. And the second part of the proposition when it stands on its own is uh, unlike. So, the woman is supposed to be a like, unlike helper. Does it make sense? (laughs) She's going to be like Adam, but she must be unlike Adam in order for her to be a helper. That's what he's saying. Really weird, isn't it? Which is what Adam is saying when he says, Oh, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh is like me. All right? But she is taken from man and she will be called woman. She is unlike me. So she's like me, human, hopefully, I think. Could we, could, could we be that kind? Human. Yet unlike me, so that we can actually come together in unity, now we can produce another image bearer of God. We become co-creators of humanity through the relationship between a husband and a wife. See how beautiful it is? It's a weird word, isn't it? Yeah, this like-unlike, or some people say we should probably translate it as, as, as partner-counter. But you can't talk about it. You're going to flip it around. She is the counterpartner of the man. So that they can come together. And so together they can do this subduing, this ruling, this keeping, this looking after. So just quickly back to verse 15. When he says work it and take care of it, those two words, when they are used together in the rest of the Old Testament, always refers to the worship of priests in the temple. So to work something means to bring order to something. To take care of it is to produce out of it the goodness that is already spoken about. So every act that we do as human beings is actually an act of worship. Or we we probably should say should be an act of worship. So as man and woman comes together, it produces a lot of little offsprings in that sense. That's how God will have the presence of human beings on the earth to worship as we work with the earth to bring about joy and glory and goodness. That is God's great plan for you and for me. That is what he's really after. And so, if you flip over your outline, it really talks about the fact that man and woman are similar, they are diverse, and there is unity. So when they come together they actually become one again. So, man is taken out of the side of man so that she will be at his side. So that both of them together can do, rule and subdue and bring about what is good and bring about what is glorious 
and bring about what is a blessing for everyone else. And so basically, we, every human being has the capacity to be like God. To be a producer of what is good. That's the capacity God has given to mankind. That's what he wants us to develop. What he wants us to grow up into so that we will become mature. Every human being therefore has dignity. It means every one of them belongs to God and not to anyone else. And so how I speak about them, how I speak to them, is how I'm speaking to God himself. No wonder that James says, how is it possible that you can worship God with your mouth, but you curse that which is made in his image? You are completely out of line if you do that. Quite sad. We do that often. So we show how broken we are. Every human being that you see, from a baby to a mass murderer, has the capacity to be like God. A producer of that which is good and life-giving and life-supporting. Amazing, isn't it? I take it that's why Jesus' number one emotional response to this world was sadness. When you see an image bearer of God not being a blessing, it's sad, isn't it? Weird. Jesus was sad that human beings made in God's image could be actually curses and destroyers and rapers of nature and people and things, misusing what God has given us to hold on more, to grab more, to push away, to bar away. It's sad, isn't it? Because Jesus understood what God has made us for. We all have a responsibility to live in the freedom and the privilege of what it means to be human. And we are all interdependent, which is obviously one of the great problems we have. We either go for dependence or independence. Either we make ourselves dependent on people, or we try to force others to be dependent on us, or we want to be completely independent. I don't need you. No, you do. We needed a whole host of people to sit here this morning. Did you know that? Did you make all your own clothes? You produce all your own food? You put up the building? You worked out how this stuff works so you can hear me? How on earth can I think I am more important than any other human being made in the image of God? But we do. Which is our next point, isn't it? Man's being is seen in man's doing. This is where it gets really nasty, isn't it? Our destruction of one another, our breakdown of one another, our ignoring of one another, our dismissing of one another shows what our beings has become. So as you read the story of Genesis, not only did God make man in his image, but Adam sinned, and then Adam made a son in him. His image. Mm. We are the sons of Adam and Eve. We are made in God's image. It's not destroyed. But now we've had Adam's image stamped on our beings. We will take a shortcut to what we think will produce joy and happiness for me at the expense of others and the expense of myself. 
We're Adam's children. Isn't it? I mean, we can still do amazing things, can't we? And we can be absolutely destructive. From physically destructive to emotionally destructive. We're not limited for options of being selfish and destructive. Man's being shows now what man's doing now shows what man's being is actually made up of. We are broken. We have fallen very, very far away from, ah, I am to be a producer of blessing. God has made me the presence of blessing on this earth. That's my job. Every single time I do not have that as a goal and as my blueprint, you will discover you will either experience guilt, shame, and fear, or you will bring about guilt, shame, or fear. That's sad, isn't it? You see how this thing works, how the Scriptures helps us to understand that God has made us because He wants us to have life. He wants us to produce life in one another. That's what he's made us for, to find the fullness of what he's put down there. We've got to go and find it and harness it and bring it out, bring it to light, just like he did with creation. So in that sense, I take it, we could spend a lot, lot of long time, and we're going to go to that in, in the next couple of weeks. We'll have a look at what went wrong. But just on the image bit, you can see it, isn't it? You switch on the news. When you look at people, do you tend to fall down and worship God like the psalmist? I guess we fall down and we cry most of the time. And so ultimately, as the psalmist asks, what is man that you are mindful of him and that you care so much for him? Out of all the things that you've made, all the glorious things that we see out there, you have a peculiar interest in mankind. Why do you have that? What? is it about us that you want us to have this? And ultimately, God shows for us his mind and his care by him himself becoming one of us in Jesus Christ. Christ being the image of the invisible God. He is the final, full expression of what God has wanted for humanity. That has been God's goal all along, that humanity will actually find its fulfillment in being like Christ. So Christ has come and he's the physical representation of the fullness of God. Colossians talks quite a bit about that. We're not going to read that. You can go and read that at home. And so he bears the full essence of God in his very being as a human. And he reflects the fullness of God's attributes totally. He is therefore the one who acts as God in this world and acts on behalf of God in this world as human beings were supposed to do in the first place. And so he is the one who has not only created all things, he is the one who restores all things through his death. And we've been singing about this this morning. Are you experiencing God making you more human because of Jesus Christ? It's weird, isn't it? Fantastic. Every time I come to Christ, Christ does something really weird. He changes my ideas for his ideas, and he wants me to become more and more a blessing in everything I do and with everyone that I am. He's making me slowly more human. 
so that I may experience what it means to be made in His image. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that hopeful? You experience that? Can you testify to that? God is making you more human. He's making you more into the image of Christ. And that's really, as we end this morning, look at what he says there, and uh, I'm trying to kind of summarize it. Since you are, that's uh, Colossians chapter 3, since you are in Christ Jesus, you've been united to Christ Jesus, you've come to be convinced in your mind and in your heart that Christ Jesus has got life. He knows exactly how to live it. He's lived it for me. He's paid the price for me. He can actually enable me to be remade into the image of God. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9 specifically. And therefore I put off anything that is not human. Which means I'm living for myself, by myself, and for myself. I'm slowly changing because my heart has changed. My view of life has changed. My understanding of God has changed. And so I'm putting on Christ Jesus in true righteousness and holiness and love and compassion and forgiveness and bearing and building and sharing. I mean, you could just keep going, isn't it? And that changes everything. It changes how I touch money, but very specifically it changes how I touch people. Whether I'm married, if you read on in Colossians, whether I've got children, changes, and whether I work, and how I work, and why I work, and for what I work. Everything changes as I become more remade into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news, isn't it? Jesus Christ looks at you, and you know what he sees? You have got the capacity to become blessing and to experience the essence of the goodness of God. That's what he sees. If you don't know him, if you don't understand him, then these things will be burdens to you. To grow and to love and to care and to bless and to work for the benefit of others will be a burden to you. Because that is interfering with your selfishness. With your desire to make a name for yourself. We're going to pick up that whole drift when we get later on into Genesis more. You will experience that. And you will cause that. You will cause heartache wherever you go. Because you're not being the image of God there. Christ has come to say, I want to remake you so that you will experience what it is to be my image. You will be seeking ways of being a blessing. And your presence will be a blessing. That's what I wish for, don't you? Imagine people are saying, I want him around because he's a real blessing. Wouldn't that be good? Christ says, in me, that is possible. Outside of me, that is impossible. You will break down, you will destroy, you will hurt, you will dismiss. You will not be able to know what it is to be made in my image. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your unbelievable word. Oh, how we can see it in our spirits, in our minds, eyes, in our hearts. We can see that you have actually made us because you delighted in making us and sharing who you are with us. And you want us to be like you. You want us to delight in being image bearers of God. Blessers. Providers. Explorers. Finders. Sharers. Life givers. Father, the sadness is that so often, on so many levels, uh, we have forgotten that we have been made by you, for you, and that we can only live through you. Thank you that Jesus Christ has come to set us free from our own stupidity, from our own narcissistic self-absorption from the fact that we think we can scheme to have a better deal instead of being what you have made us to be. Forgive us for that, Lord. Forgive us for the many people we've hurt. Forgive us for the many people who are damaged because of us. Yes, Lord, forgive those who have damaged us in their strive for a better deal when they've dismissed us, when they've walked over us, when they've hurt us, and, and we have been so kind, we repaid it to somebody else. Father, we as human beings are broken. We have been made glorious. We have been made with glory and honor. And we are like madmen behind the wheel of a car. We can use it for transport, for something good, but we would rather plow into others who we believe stand in our way for our joy and our satisfaction and for our accomplishments. We bow before you deeply aware of our own brokenness, our own sadness and the sadness of what we see around you. And we want to turn our eyes onto the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to say, Lord, thank you for Christ. Make us into his image. Break that selfish, fearful guilt and shame that we are so accustomed to set us free moment by moment, act by act, situation by situation, relationship by relationship, so that we ourselves may experience your blessing and be your blessing in this broken world. We praise you, we honor you, and we worship you. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen.